Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Hello, hello. Welcome in to the Free Retiree Show. Thank you for making a fantastic life decision today and tuning in to our wonderful show. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy. I'm alongside career advisor, Sergio Patterson. What is up? And alongside Silicon Valley's second favorite attorney today, <laughs> Matt McElroy. What's going on, guys? Nice to have the group back together. So for today- yeah, it's been a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it feels good to be back. All back together, the way things should be. This is wonderful. So for today's episode, we're gonna be talking about estate planning. Super important topic. We've been getting a lot of questions about this, and we're going to be talking about why it's important, when you need to do it, biggest mistakes people make when thinking about estate planning. And we got a wonderful guest today. Her name is Nina Decker. She's a great estate planning attorney right in the Silicon Valley. And I think this is going to be a really informative episode that's going to really clear up a lot of misconceptions about estate planning and really talk about something that needs to be talked about a lot more. So Matt, Serge, what do you guys think about estate planning? I think this is a pretty cool opportunity because Nina is a certified specialist and there's only a few number of those in California. There's not a ton. So this is we get a good insight at some good knowledge here. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't know anything about this topic, so I'm just excited to learn from an expert like Nina. So Matt, I got to ask you, since we have Nina coming on, I think this is, I want to ask you a hypothetical question. This would never happen. It's all hypothetical. Let's just say you decided to talk back to Sloan, your wonderful fiance. You got a, you got a little sassy, you got a little out we of both, line. And we both she, know I'm not that brave. So. <laughs> and she decided, I want to kill Matt. How would she do it? Since we're talking about estate plan today, I just want to know, like, what do you think? What do you think she would do? From my limited knowledge of wills, estates, and trusts from you know the bar exam, I, I think there are certain laws that would prevent her from collecting anything if she was to take me out. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> I could be wrong on that. I, I can't point to anything specific. But does anybody here watch Ozark, the you know the Netflix series? Oh yes, I, I have. I've I seen stopped Ozark. watching it season two. I think there's three seasons. Oh, okay. Why well, I, I can't really go on then because I, I, it's a part of season three that would probably ruin it for you guys. But uh, there's something that you guys know, Darlene, the old lady heroin dealer. Oh yes, yes. yes. Yeah, there's there's something that she does in the season three that to a guy that Sloan's basically threatened to me. So I don't want to ruin it for you guys. <laughs> but yeah, you know, <laughs> let's just say like, if I mess up, I know what's going to happen. All right. All right. Fair enough, Serge. It's been clearly defined. All right. Great answer, Matt. So Serge, I got to ask you, same thing. Kim's taking you out. How's she doing it? She's literally in the room with me right now. Oh, terrible wait for, question. Wait for, wait for her to close the door. Okay. All right. Now, um, now, now tell us. If she were to kill me, how would she do it? Is that yeah. the question? Yeah. She's pretty smart and sneaky. So I'd say she, I'd, she'd do it in my sleep. I think it's something I'd be, I'd be asleep. and I'd, it'd be minimal pain. She loves me. She cares about me. All right. And since I'll go last, I know Victoria, 
she's mentioned something about putting me in a national park. I don't know how she'd actually do it, <laughs> but if my body ends up in a national park, you guys know I'm not a camper. I'm definitely at best a glamper. I was never meant to be there. So tell my story. Yeah, I remember the one time we went on a hike, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yes, yes. I believe you had to go to the hospital after, right? I got a tick, Matt. It was a valid concern to go to the hospital. You went to the emergency room for a tick? One tick? I it heard was terrifying. That, I heard that they can give Lyme disease. I was doing the right thing for my health. Fair. I'm, I don't need to justify this to you guys. All right, so we're going to go to the break. But when we're back, we're talking all about estate planning, what you need to know, all with our wonderful attorney, Nina Decker. Stay tuned. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you guys. We are so happy to have you. You have a wonderful reputation. You're great at what you do. Tell the audience, in your words, what do you do? What is estate planning? What do you do for your clients? All right. Well, I'm an estate planning attorney at Kramer Reed and Law Firm in Los Altos. And the biggest thing that I like about that and that I think is what estate planning is all about is meeting with clients and achieving their goals under their own terms. So I meet with clients and discuss what their plans are for the future, what they'd like to do, as well as what would happen if something happened to them, who would make decisions for them. So we sit down and we have a proactive conversation and I find it really exciting. Awesome. When do we need to start estate planning? I think that for a lot of people that I run into, they're thinking like, what's the right age, you know? Right now, you know, Matt's relatively young. Matt Sergio's relatively young. I'm relatively young, I guess, in the whole grand scheme of things. My body doesn't feel that way. It sucks every morning when I wake up out of bed, but I guess I'm relatively young on the big scale of things. But when is the right time? Is it like in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, right before you're diagnosed with something? What's your take on that? I'm so glad you're asking this because this is one of the biggest misconceptions that I deal with. The right time is now. For anybody, when you're 18, all the way up to right when you're in your older stages of life, I think everybody should have an estate plan. And part of the reason for that is not necessarily about wealth, but about keeping your family out of court, making things easy for your family if you were to pass away, or what would be maybe even more likely is keeping things easy for your family if there's a time that you can't make decisions for yourself. That could happen when you're 18. That could happen when you're 95. So I think that the right time for an estate plan is today. Yeah, I totally agree. You want, yeah, it's you interesting. want to keep everybody out of court. It's interesting, Nina. I would have thought you would need to have an estate to have an estate plan. Like by estate, I mean like the way I think about it is a home or assets. Can you might maybe like dumb it down for our listeners exactly what you mean by estate? Yeah, absolutely. So having an estate means that you have assets. And in California, having a revocable trust in place is the easiest way to pass on assets. But that being said, there are plenty of other things that estate planning does. So whether you have $10 or $100,000 or a million dollars, you still need to be able to tell people 
who's going to pay my bills if I can't speak for myself? Who's going to make medical decisions for me if I can't speak for myself? And where does everything go when I pass away? Whether you have a lot or a little, wouldn't you want to make that process easier for your family and stay out of court? 100%. That That's so clear now. I think me personally, having just gone through a surgery and having to kind of that makes a hundred so much sense. Like if something were to happen, you kind of make it on easier on the people also, it sounds like. So it's less decisions for them to make if it's already. That's right. You're putting out. down your goals on paper and you're saying that if I can't speak for myself, this is what I want. This is the kind of treatment I want. This is the kind of hospital I want to go to. And of course this can cover end of life care, which I think is why people think of it as something that is more for when you're older. But as you saw with your recent experience, what if you're in the hospital and you're under anesthesia and a decision needs to be made suddenly? Who's making that for you? And do they have the legal ability to? And often when you're married, a spouse would be doing that. But what if you want to name a friend? What if you're not sure? What if you don't have a family member you can name? This is the way to give that legal authority to somebody and make sure that the process is easy for them if they ever have to step into that role. Awesome. Yeah, Lee, I don't think you should give that legal authority to Victoria. She'll pull the plug. <laughs> nah, man, I'd be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> She'll pull it real quick. So, Nina, what do you think the biggest reason is why people don't do the estate planning quicker? Do you think it's a lack of knowledge? Do you think it has to do with costs? In your experience, what have you seen? People always think of it as a back burner item. They think, I know that I need a trust or I know I need a will, but, and I'm going to do it, but I'll do it later. And it becomes a back burner item because nobody wants to think about what happens when I die or what happens if I'm incapacitated. And so oftentimes people think, okay, I'm, I'm going to get around to that. And as we saw with the pandemic, a lot of people did start thinking about their mortality and thinking, oh gosh, maybe I should have something in place. It's kind of in some ways an uncomfortable subject somewhat when you, you know, you have maybe a parent and child in your office talking about how things are going to work when they're gone or something. I can, yeah, I can see that right. being, yeah, it's not, it's not, I mean, I, I've had to be in, I've never done any estate planning, but I've been in family disputes <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it gets very uncomfortable. I mean, not, not, not so much uncomfortable, but it could just be yeah, a little bit of an awkward situation. Well, and certainly people aren't always ready to talk about death or they feel strongly or they're, they're less comfortable with it. And so they think they know it's something they need to do, but it's very uncomfortable. But as far as cost is concerned, paying this money on the front end to get a few documents in place is definitely better than the thousands of dollars that family might have to shell out to go through a probate case, for example or to ask the court for permission to make decisions for you. That's much more costly than developing the plan at first. And so I do think it comes down to people thinking, oh, okay, I'll, I'll get around to it. But there are a few events in your life that are really important events for which you should start thinking about it more seriously. And as I mentioned, the time is now. That goes for anybody, but especially families with kids. This can set up guardianship, who's taking care of your kids, and families where they know that they want to plan for the future and they are not quite sure how long they have left. That sounded a little morbid. <laughs> Fine. I mean, the way Lee started the show, like how our wives are going to kill us. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like, wow. keep going down the hole. It's just it, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're actually getting more positive, actually, <laughs> if you're engaging with how we started. So we're on the right track. So Nina, talk about probate. I think for a lot of the listeners, they're not too familiar with what exactly probate is and what it means. Yeah, let me get into that. So a lot of times when people think about estate planning, they've heard the term avoid probate, but you're right. They don't actually know what that means. 
A probate case is a case in court where someone has passed away. And so on their behalf, somebody else, an administrator or an executor is filing a case with the court to say, so-and-so died. Here's what they have. Here's who it's going to. And if you don't have any estate plan in place, California law is going to say who it's going to. But because this is a, a case with a court, this is going to require an attorney, hearings, and permission from the court to do certain things like sell property. And so when we talk about avoiding probate, we're talking about avoiding the costs of all of those things and the stress would, and the time. Oh yeah, and that's any kind of court proceeding stressful, horribly emotionally exhausting. <laughs> and, well, and Matt, you, you know, know that with the pandemic, it's been difficult to get hearing dates oh, and everything's oh, yeah. pushed out. Yeah. Yeah, how is how is it going in, in your guys' world? Because our world still, it's they're setting trials, but no trials are going forward right now. So it's like, why are you guys, you know, <laughs> they, they think it's going to get better or something. I'm like, one of my cases, we got set for trial in, in March, which is, you know, fairly soon. And it's like, are we really going to have juries by that time? I don't know. I know. We've got a long lead time on getting hearings, 10 to 12 weeks. We've had some hearings resume via court call, via Zoom, but it's it's definitely delayed. You know, it's a little for like, we're still doing like, you know, regular case management conferences. We'll still do, the, still do them through Zoom or court call. But yeah, law and motion, some of them are four months out, you know, before we can actually have our motion heard, which is crazy. That, that delay seems like it could be really tough on somebody handling a deceased family member and like trying to get through all this stuff. So now it's like even more delayed than normal because of COVID. Absolutely. And I yeah. spend a lot of time talking about avoiding these delays because of the cost and the stress, but it's also a grieving person dealing with a deceased family member or friend. And so yeah. keeping that in mind is important too. And the more there's a delay, the more things are sitting around and action can't be taken and people can't move on. And so finding a way around that can make the process much more efficient and cost-effective. So Nina, I got to ask you a question. Let's just assume that, you know, you're the average family and you haven't done anything on estate planning. Where do you start? What does the conversation look like with your significant other? And then what do you do moving forward? Good question. This is a perfect example of breaking down barriers about talking about uncomfortable things. And I have seen with spouses before that when they start having these conversations, maybe they have the same ideas about what they would want to happen with respect to guardianship for their kids or with respect to how money is managed for their kids. Maybe they have totally different ideas. And so I think that the first place to start is what would happen if we were gone? What would we want our kids' lives to look like? What would we want money to be distributed to them for? What are our priorities with our family? Is that education? Is that buying a home eventually. And if you don't have kids, certainly what you're thinking about is what legacy am I leaving? What family members or friends am I supporting or what causes and charities are important to me? And then once you've kind of thought over that, a consultation with somebody like me is where we'll sit down and talk about your goals and what best fits your family situation. Okay. No, you well, ahead. I was just thinking like a, a main thing that maybe kind of deters some people from coming and seeing an estate planning attorney is they think that trusts are something for rich people and that there's no way in yeah. hell they could ever afford something like that. And I think it might surprise them how much it actually costs because it's not, I mean, my, my understanding is that it's not as much as they might think. It's not that crazy. That's absolutely correct. And the cost is going to be different for every family depending on their needs, but 
You're absolutely right, especially when you compare the cost of setting up a trust and other documents to go along with it versus the cost of going through a probate or other court case. And you're right, a lot of people think of trust and they think, oh, trust fund, trust fund kid. But in fact, in California, a revocable trust is the easiest most cost-efficient, most effective way to pass on property to somebody else, whether that's a house, whether that's a bank account, whether that's millions of dollars or hundreds of dollars. Do you ever get situations where parent, they set up a trust or whatever will, and then all you have a bunch of kids, siblings or whatever, and it's not dispersed like the kids thought it was going to get dispersed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, or say one, you know, one sibling gets kind of screwed over and it's, you know, just, you know, there's, there's chaos. Have you been involved in a lot of litigation like that where they where, you know, they're fighting about that? Unfortunately, yes, that does happen every once in a while. The children don't like what mom and dad did. And it's sad to see, but sometimes parents do have reasons for doing distributions to their children unequally. Sometimes it's a little less comfortable. It's a little uncomfortable, but yeah. So I've seen that kind of litigation and that's something that my office deals with. It's not the most common thing. It's hopefully a little few and far between, but yes, unfortunately that does happen. In that case, there might end up being court hearings to deal with. Even if you did set up a trust during your lifetime, there might be some litigation to deal with how that's managed, but of course, we're hoping that by setting this up, we're making their intentions clear from the beginning. Anita, quick question. I'm looking at this article about appointing the right executor, and they pretty much handle all of the details and like documents and stuff, but I'm, I'm seeing something that I want to get clarification on. It says the executor also has to pay off to any taxes or debt owed by the deceased for, from the estate. Does that mean if someone dies and you're their executor, you take over their debt? Well, let me say first, an executor is somebody who kills somebody. An executor. Exactly. <laughs> executor, yes. An executor is, is somebody who manages an estate. That's awesome. But no, Norco, Norco pain pills are very strong. No, we did that last last interview with Realtor. Um, no one knows how to say that. <laughs> Realtor Wait, is not correct. Realtor. All right, but we digress. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead, right. Nina. Good executor. Question, no, the person who ends up winding up the estate, the executor or the trustee, there's lots of different terms, but the bottom line is no, those debts aren't passed on to that person. They're just responsible for winding it up. So those mm. debts, expenses, and taxes are paid out of the estate. And so what I mean by the estate is the money that the person who's passed away has. So by the time beneficiaries, the, the people who are receiving the gift, by the time beneficiaries are receiving their share, we've already paid debts, expenses, taxes, attorney's fees, anything else like that. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So Nina, what are we going to get if we go to an estate plan attorney? What are they going to give us? I think will is what most people are most familiar with, but I think there's more than that, right? Absolutely. So what I frequently talk to families about, families, individuals, whomever, is revocable living trust. And we've discussed what that is. And essentially, a, a trust is a set of instructions that says, once I pass away, here's where my assets go. But it does more than that. It also says, if I'm alive, but incapacitated, unable to speak for myself because you're in a coma or you have dementia, something like that, it says, Here's how somebody should manage my money for me if I can't do it myself. Now, in addition to a trust, the documents that I always recommend to people are financial powers of attorney, 
financial power of attorney document, also known as durable power of attorney. This is a document that says, if I'm alive, but unable to make financial decisions for myself, here's who should make them. Here's who should pay my bills, sign my tax returns and other financial matters. The other document is an advanced healthcare directive. This is a document that says, if I'm alive, but unable to speak for myself, here's who makes my medical decisions about my treatment, my course of treatment, which hospital I'm at, end of life care. And those are the most important components of a plan that I recommend to everybody, especially younger people. I think everybody should have a financial power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Yeah, it's good advice. What's ballpark of cost? You don't have to do it, like, I'm sure it varies, but for a standard estate plan, what's, what can our listeners expect when they start thinking about this? It is going to be quite varied, but a lot of times it'll be in the two to 3,000, 2,000 to 5,000 range, anywhere in there. I know a lot of estate planning attorneys, myself included, will often work on a flat fee basis where we'll say the cost for your revocable trust, your financial power of attorney, and your advanced healthcare directive, along with a couple of other supporting documents, will be $3,000 flat. And that'll include our meetings and our communication. So somewhere in that neighborhood, under $5,000. That's not $5, too bad. Yeah, it's way, yeah. less, way less than I thought. Way less. Yeah, well, often under $5,000. Yeah. And also too, can you give us what a, an idea of what probate could cost and show kind of to show the, the savings that somebody oh, would have? Because I, I mean, that, that's, that sounds super cheap, two to $5,000 for what you could spend on an attorney and paying him yeah. hourly. <laughs> yeah. So probate fees are set by statute. The court actually says, here's what the fees are. And it's uh, based on the size of your estate. And that fee is applicable not only to the attorney, but to the executor as well. So whatever this formula says is what the, both of the attorney and the executor will be paid. That could be $10,000 each. In fact, I worked on a case recently where I did the math and it would be minimum $110,000 if Whoa. my clients didn't complete Jeez. their trust. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. And so it is based on the size of your estate, but it can be quite a bit. And that's not including fees that attorneys can get for work that's above and beyond a typical probate case. Those are called extraordinary fees. Those fees are just based on the attorney's hourly rates. So if there's something complex, if there's a lot of selling property or dealing with special assets, we're talking attorney's hourly rate plus the fee that's set by the court. Now, there's always that saying that attorneys hate probate. I feel like you don't really hate probate. I feel like it could be a wonderful <laughs> financial thing for you attorneys. Serge, what do you think? I agree. Yeah. I don't trust them. Yeah. Anything where we can charge hourly, right? <laughs> I, tr I trust Nina. I don't trust Matt. Well, and I'll say <laughs> it's easier for us, too. I'd much rather be working with somebody who set up a trust and dealing with that than dealing with a probate. I'll tell you that because then I'm just sitting in my office and working with clients instead of in front of a judge. One thing I think that's really common right now, Nina, is people are looking at these online resources. I think you can get your trust and will done online. And like I just want to get or something. Yeah, there's I can't remember the websites. But what do you think about those people or that tactic dealing? What do they need to know if they're going to go that route? 
I think the biggest thing is if you do decide that that's right for you, have an attorney at least look it over because those online services do provide templates. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. And you wouldn't ever want a situation where the template didn't fit for you. And so something's not happening the way you want it to. Gift isn't going to a person the way you want it to because it was written differently than you expect. And everybody likes to bring up legalese and say, oh gosh, the way you guys write this is so difficult to read. Well, that's why I think making sure that whatever online template you get, you understand and that you have somebody look over. If your goal is to get a financial power of attorney and a healthcare directive and get it quick, maybe an online service is right, but do make sure that you have somebody look it over. I recommend that you go to an attorney from the very beginning, any attorney. Well, in those forms, they're really just cookie cutter and you know, that it's so hard to do that with anything legal. You know what I mean? Because every situation has its nuances and it's different little parts to it. And, you know, having something that just applies to everything, it's, that's where you get into problems. And, and a lot of people, from what I've seen from my end, I'll see people do quick claim deeds or, you know, things like that to transfer property and they go get these forms and they just jack it up. They, you know what I mean? There's just so many, they just don't know what they're signing. They're just, oh no, this is a lawyer form. I got it offline. You know, I'm good to go. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. And something like a deed, signing that without knowing what you're doing can have huge consequences with property taxes, all kinds of other issues. And so, yes, you're right. Everybody's family is different. If you look at your three families, you all have different needs. You all have different types of families. And so finding what's best for each of you is going to be a bit of a different process. Yeah. Hey, Nina, on that note, how do people avoid going into this, trying to make everyone happy? What I mean by that is like, I, I assume... You know, if I were to meet with you, my initial intentions is like, I want to make all my kids happy. But how do you, do you push back on that idea and try to make it super smart decisions for the person that's going into this versus trying to please everybody? Well, good point. And I know that that's a big push and pull with people, especially with adult children or children that are married and, and maybe in-laws are in the picture and they have opinions too. I think that the best thing to do is focus on your goals and your legacy. What is your value? What's most important to you about how this money is to be used? Is it most important that you support your children equally? Is it most important that you make sure grandchildren are covered? Do you want to set aside funds for education specifically? So I think going back to your personal goals and what you want to achieve is the best place to start. And then you can seek input from family members and what they might want and what they think is best for their kids. Maybe if you're leaving gifts to grandchildren, well, what do the parents say about that? But ultimately it should be about you. And what you think is best. And so my job is to talk you through that and try to help you balance those factors. In your experience, have you seen that generally it's a better result when there's transparency between, you know, the parents or grandparents and what they're leaving or when everything just comes at a surprise at the end of what, who's getting what and all that? What, what have you kind of, what technique have you seen kind of works best for that kind of situation? Okay, good question, because I've seen the full spectrum. I've seen people who say, I don't want anybody to know anything until I'm gone, and they keep their estate plan a secret. I've seen people who say, all right, thank you. I want five copies, one for my kids, one for my friend, one for my cat, you know, <laughs> so... Everybody has a different perspective. I do think it's nice to talk these things through with your family. And even though it can be uncomfortable, it's nice to let your kids know, especially families with kids, that we've created an estate plan. 
here, the documents are in the file drawer over here. So if anything ever happens, go look for them. Maybe it's also based on how old your kids are. Maybe you have them read through it and that's that. But I've seen the whole spectrum, but I do think it's nice to at least have a basic conversation about what you're doing and why you did it. No, I feel definitely. like that would just like give people more input and, and confuse some things. And it, it, yeah. could, okay, it could start some drama. Some, yeah. A lot yeah, of drama. I, I get it. I think that's nice. But if you have a big family, like I'm one of five kids, Lee, you know my family. That could cause a lot of oh, shit. Yeah. If you have big families, I'd imagine, you know, those are tougher cases for you to handle when there's a lot of different inputs coming your way. They can be. And especially for that reason that everybody has an opinion, every spouse has an opinion. But for me, the person I'm representing is the person who's creating the plan. So it's their goals that are going to be most important to me. And I don't necessarily answer to anybody else in the family except for that person who's creating the plan. And so if they say, you know what, I'm not sure that I want to share this with my kids. I want to keep it private for now. Then that's great. I'll tell them, put it in the file cabinet and just make sure that they know to go look for that binder when the time comes. Nina, I think a real challenging conversation that I've seen with my clients is when you have parents that are getting up there in age, and as you mentioned before, parents are can be private. A lot of families are private about what they're planning to do. How do you start that conversation? I think it's really challenging and it's a scary thought because it's like, oh, how was your day? Oh, by the way, you're going to die soon. So let's, let's figure some stuff out. Like what's the right way? <laughs> Is there a delicate way to uh, start the conversation with your parents, your grandparents that maybe you might be concerned that they haven't done enough or maybe they did their plan a long time ago and it hasn't been updated like how do you start those conversations i think that the easiest thing to say is i was reading about estate planning do you have anything in place uh, or i met with an estate planning attorney or i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about working on my own plan do you have a plan and, uh, and bring it up that way i also tell people blame it on me say oh, well, I was talking to my attorney and they said that I really should have an estate plan and it made me worry. Do you have one? So Yeah, I, sneaky. I like that. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> so Nina, have you ever had a situation where somebody's come in to do some estate planning and they leave it all to one of their pets, a cat or a dog? <laughs> and, you know, because I have a feeling that Lee's going to leave a lot to Jackson. It's, it's a <laughs> golden doodle. So, you know, what kind of... Great question, Matt. Uh, great question. question. Matt, pet trusts are a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People do leave money to, not, not to the pet themselves, but I've seen lots of people that provide for pet guardianship, funds to be available for the care of the pet. So, yes, I have seen that. I have yet to see somebody leave it all to the cats or the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget about the wardrobe, Lee. I know you have like yeah. sweaters and bow ties and all kinds of stuff. Yes, he's got a he's got a nicer wardrobe than I do. You know, that's Jackson's living the life right now. <laughs> and that's what you want to make sure he continues to live that life, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dog. Just to let you know, Nina, my dog is so spoiled. Like he doesn't even eat kibble. He only eats rotisserie chicken. Like he won't even can chicken anymore. It's like got to be rotisserie chicken with his kibble. That's my dog's life right now. See, that's why you need a trust is, yeah, yeah, you got you to gotta lay that out for, for whoever's going to take care of him. You're going to be in for a rude awakening if you leave him with me. <laughs> definitely, definitely not leaving him with you. So, you know, thank you so much for coming on today. You gave a lot of great advice. If people have questions, how can they reach out to you? 
Well, you can call me. My office number is 650-941-8600. I'd also love to chat with people via email. My email is decker, D-E-C-K-E-R, at kramerradin.com. And I'm at Kramer Radin Law Farm in Los Altos. So look us up, get in touch with us. I'd love to talk to any of your listeners about their estate plan. Awesome. Thank you so awesome. much for coming on. We enjoyed it. Thank you, Nina. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, right. guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Fruit Tyree Show. So long for now. The information provided from Nina Decker is not legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is an investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc., The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.